as we continue to worship through our giving, grab your Bibles. We're going to turn to our text this morning in Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. If you do not have a Bible with you today, there should be a paperback Bible in the pew back in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. We want you to fall in love with Jesus Christ in the Scripture. So take that home, underline it, mark it up. That is your Bible now. When you get to Acts chapter 9, look up to me and say, He is alive. Amen. Beginning in verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who stood were traveling with him. Uh, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen a vision, he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul... The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. This is the word of the Lord. Glad that you're with us today. Um, we are sort of in a standalone um, week for we have just finished a series entitled Resurrecting Relationships, looking at how the resurrection of Jesus Christ um, just affects our everyday life and our relationships. And the Lord met us in a very real place um, during that series. And I always enjoy days like today because I get to sort of preach to you what God has preached to me through his word. But just by a caveat, um, by next weekend, do not miss next Sunday. We've got a special treat for you guys. And and I'm not going to tell you what it is, so come next Sunday and check that out. But the Lord will definitely bless you um, next Sunday. We're very excited about the service. And uh, today, actually on the church calendar by, by church history, um, today is called Pentecost Sunday. And Pentecost Sunday is what we understand to be in the book of Acts when the disciples um, received the Holy Spirit and just the birthing of the New Testament church and everything played out the way that Jesus um, said that it would. Imagine that. Everything happened the way that Jesus said that it would. And so um, today we are in a particular passage and it's really one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. And one of the things that really compels me about the Bible is that it is uh, written in story mode. 
And, and I think one of the ways that, that we kind of detach the Bible from this, you know, society in our everyday life is we make it in, into this thing that it isn't. And it's really, uh, first and foremost, a collection of divinely inspired by God stories and events with real people in real locations in real time with real situations in their life. But what I really love about just kind of the story language is, I don't know if you're like me, but I love Christmas time. I love Thanksgiving I love sitting around, you know, the table and sharing stories with family members and hearing stories about that crazy uncle, because you got that crazy uncle, right? You know what I mean? If you're like, no, we don't. You're the crazy uncle. Congratulations, right? And so I just love stories. I just love stories. But what I really love is stories that start out just kind of like, oh, you know, this is an everyday story. And then at the end of the story, you're like, oh, that's why at the beginning of the story, and there's really um, a compelling story that begins with a preacher by the name of Robert Key, who was a Methodist preacher back in the 1800s. And Robert Key was a very passionate evangelist Methodist man. And one of the things that the Methodists were known for is that they preached and, and preached the gospel outside of the church at the time, which was very controversial. And so Robert Key was in a very remote village there in London and shared a revival in someone's home. And in that revival, um, history records that many people came to faith in Jesus Christ. Robert Key was a very, um, a very gifted evangelist. And there was a young lady by the name of Mary Ann Eaglin who was there at the service. And she came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. And she was so compelled by the story of Jesus and God's grace and redemption that she went home and she shared the gospel with her family. And she shared the gospel with her brother, Robert Eaglin, who we have a picture of. And Robert Eaglin um, became a Methodist preacher. And he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And we know all of this as recorded in the history books. One of the things about Robert Eaglin is he was actually a shoemaker by trade. And um, as history records, and this is kind of a bad thing to go down in history, he wasn't that good of a preacher. And so he never really sort of landed um, his own church. And so he sort of um, filled in as the second string in one of the pulpits. But on January 6, 1850, there was a great snowstorm that came through the local town there. And the name of the church that Robert Eaglin filled in was called the Primitive, the, I'm sorry, the Primitive Methodist Chapel on Artillery Street. And so there at the beginning in January, there was a snowstorm that came. And the standing preacher and pastor actually couldn't make it into the pulpit at the time. He was snowed in. So Robert Eaglin, like not the go-to guy, was forced to preach that Sunday. And we know as history records what his text was. It was Isaiah chapter 45 verse 22. And it says these words, Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. And Robert Eaglin preached from that text that Sunday morning, barely knowing what he was doing because he was a shoemaker by trade. Just an ordinary guy. And there was a young man, a 16-year-old young man, who actually made his way into the chapel that Sunday due to the snowstorm. The snowstorm was so bad that for a few hours, he sought refuge there into the chapel. And as history records, this young man said that he felt like he was the only one in the chapel that Robert Eaglin was preaching to. 
And that young man gave his life to Jesus Christ through Isaiah chapter 45 and just a simple man preaching a profound gospel. And that young man wrote in his journal on the way home these words, I can never tell you how it was, but I no sooner saw whom I was to believe than I also understood what it was to even believe. As the snow fell on my road home from that little house of prayer, I thought every snowflake talked to me and told me of the pardon that I had found. For I was white as the driven snow through the grace of God. Isn't that a great story? You may know that 16-year-old young man. The 16-year-old young man is Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who became what some say the greatest preacher of the English language ever. Preached one of the first uh, mega churches there at the uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle there in London and had literally tens of thousands of people come to faith in Jesus Christ through his ministry. But do you know what I love about the story? Robert Key, who shares the gospel, and Mary Ann Eaglin, who receives the gospel and who goes home and shares the gospel with her family. And Robert Eaglin, who just was an ordinary shoemaker, who said, you know what, I want to give my life to this good news and to Jesus. And he was obedient and preached the gospel. And now we have the story of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. That story is very similar to our text today. For when you were reading the text, you were like, oh, yeah. This is the story how that Saul guy became that Paul guy, and you were really focusing on just all the dramatic stuff that was happening there in the story. But you probably overlooked Ananias, who was just a disciple from Damascus named Ananias. And through Ananias' obedience, we now have the conversion story of Saul. And just to let you know how important this Saul-turned-Paul guy is, he writes 13 books, uh, possibly 14 of the New Testament, which means that he would have beat you in a Bible drill any day of the week, okay? Right? And outside of Jesus Christ, this is a big sentence, but I believe it, outside of Jesus Christ has had the greatest impact on Christianity thus today. And some people would even say through philosophy and things like that as well. The Apostle Paul. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And you have Robert Key and a guy named Ananias. The Apostle Paul actually talks about his conversion story three times in the book of Acts. And then he talks about it again in the New Testament in a book that he writes to a young pastor who doesn't really know what he's doing. And the Apostle Paul encourages him in the Lord. And in 1 Timothy, the Apostle Paul says something particular about his conversion story. And he says these words in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 15 through 16. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Oh, that was a good spot for an amen. It's the 11 a.m. I expect more out of you right now. I'll read it again and let you say amen because that's a really good thing to say amen to. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. As in me, 
And then as an example. So literally what the Apostle Paul says is, listen, listen, listen. My, my testimony, my conversion story, you need to know about that. You need to know about that. It's important. Why? Because there's some things in that that God uses as an example as to those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't believe it's the dramatic, like, knock you off of a high horse type of a thing like that. But I believe that there's something there that God uses to tell us, this is how I'm saving people. This is what I'm doing. And that involves Ananias, just an ordinary guy. The fact that God uses people. Is profound. And this is the big idea that I want us to work with today, and it's something I think is important for us as a church to understand. Ordinary obedience, ordinary obedience always leads to extraordinary opportunities. Just listen to me, listen. Ordinary obedience always leads to extraordinary opportunities. One of the things that we do with the Bible and with the scriptures is that we like detach them, like I said in the beginning, that like these people weren't real people, but they were real people doing their ordinary things throughout their ordinary day. When God comes to a man named Abram, Abram is fulfilling what he's doing, just an ordinary guy doing ordinary things. And God tells Abram, go. And Abram obeys. And we have the nation of Israel birthed out of an ordinary man who just had ordinary obedience that led to extraordinary opportunities. And that's really what we see within our text today. And here's who I want to focus on. I want to focus on Ananias today. The guy in the story that nobody really knows about who has the profound impact because I believe that you and I have a lot in common with Ananias. We don't know a lot about him. I read every commentary. I read everybody that I could this week. And nobody really knows about Ananias. Later on in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul describes him as someone of good character. Okay, (laughs) right? But here's what we know from the text. A disciple named Ananias who was in Damascus. Just an ordinary guy, probably working a blue-collar job just like you, who had extraordinary obedience that just led to an extraordinary opportunity. And here's what I want to do. I want to look at him and pull out some character traits of a disciple that I see. Just an ordinary guy. And look at his character traits and ask ourselves some questions. Do I share these same character traits as Ananias? Because here's something that I hear all the time. When I counsel, when I have a cup of coffee with somebody, is is, is this. Well, I just don't know what God's will is for my life. You know, I don't know if I knew this, if I knew this big, like, piece of the puzzle in my life, then I would totally get, like, everything else. But I don't think the answer comes, like, in this big, profound thing. I think the answer comes in ordinary obedience. I think that's what God is requiring of us because this saying is trustworthy and full of of acceptance that Jesus Christ came in the world to save sinners. So I can go ahead and answer the question, what is God's will for your life? It's that you would come to saving faith in Jesus Christ first and foremost. Like not like, how was the world created? Or like, like, let's talk about this first here. This is deserving of full acceptance. Because I think some of us think that God's will is like, 
a unicorn riding around at the end of a rainbow with a pot of gold or something. And like, oh no, I miss God's will and my life is forever cursed now. I just don't think that's what the scriptures teach. I just think that God meets us in our ordinary life. So what's a description of Ananias? The first thing that I see in the text and a question that we have to ask ourselves is this. Am I available? You're like, that's all you got? That's point number one. I'm available. Here's a little bit of backstory. Here's what's happening. Look at chapter 8, verse 3. Have your eyes on Scripture so, this ball, so you don't think this bald-headed, tattooed preacher is making this stuff up. Chapter 8, verse 3. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Wow. And like you thought you had done some stuff before Jesus saved you, right? So here's the backstory. Saul is like, I mean, modern day ISIS. I mean, he's, he's persecuting the church. And he's ravaging the church and he's got papers to prove it, man, right? He's going around arresting anybody belonging to the way, doing anything like that. And then it opens in chapter 9, verse 1. And and here's what I want to do. Can we have some fun with the Bible? Like, God forbid we have fun with the Bible in church, okay? So here's what I want to do. I'm going to say Saul's name, and when I say Saul's name, I want you to go dun, 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 right? So we just get into the story. Can we do that this morning? All right, you know your role. Here we go. Chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul... You're great. Still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priests and asked him for letters to the synagogues to Damascus. So this is what we see. Paul's on his way. Then literally he gets knocked off his high horse by Jesus. And then enter now verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. Just underline that in your neighbor's Bible for them. They need that underlined if that's not underlined. Here I am, Lord. It's profound, isn't it? Like, like think of the story. God, Ananias is just working like a blue-collar job. Like, what am I supposed to be doing? Man, I'm just doing this thing. I don't know if this thing's turning out right now. And then, like, in his morning devotional time and his Jesus, you know, story, like his Jesus calling, like it's happening, like his quiet time, you know, the Lord gives him a word, some obedience to follow through. (laughs) And his first response is, here I am. Right here. Put yourself in the story. Put yourself in the story, and here's what I want you to ask yourself. How would you have answered? Lord, give me after today. Give me this afternoon. It's Monday. You know, I got the schedule, and I got the thing happening, and work. And then, and I got the in-laws coming. I'm going to need to talk to you about that later. And some stuff like, Lord, I'll just get with you later on. I'm pretty busy right now. Or, yeah, oh, just, ah. But here I am. Simple obedience. The first thing that he is is that he's available. He's available. Maybe, maybe this will help. This is a picture, and I hope we have a picture of uh, the Nanjing Bridge in China. And the Nanjing Bridge is, is a very famous bridge. It's about 15,000 feet long, and about 80,000 cars drive across it every day there in China. 
Um, it's, it's beautiful to look at the Nanjing Bridge, a double-decker, um, if you will, of bridges. And, uh, but that's really not why it's famous. The reason why it's famous is because it surpassed the Golden Gate Bridge for the amount of people that have committed suicide off of it. And the nickname of the bridge is called the Bridge of Sorrows. And there's reports of, of married couples even holding hands and jumping off into the water below committing suicide. As of um, 2010, I believe it was uh, what it was, there's somewhere around 3,500 to 3,000 people who've, who've committed suicide off this bridge. But that's not what's interesting about the Nanjing Bridge. What's interesting about the Nanjing Bridge is this man, Chan Si. Chan Si, man. I love Chan Si. We're boys now. He doesn't even know me. Where we're best friends. I love this guy. Forget Batman, Superman, Chan Si, man. This is the guy. Chan Si works just an ordinary job there in the city and, and commutes on the bridge every single day. Oh, here's what Chan Si does. In the morning, he leaves work early. He parks on one side of the bridge, and with binoculars, he walks the bridge. He walks back to his car, and he goes to work. And then after work, he parks his car, and he walks the bridge with binoculars. He gets back in his car. On the weekends, on Saturday, Chan takes his lunch and has lunch there on the Nanjing Bridge. He's posted his phone number everywhere on the bridge, and the city has actually made a plaque and certified his phone number. And because of that, there's articles, there's actually a documentary called The Angel of Nanjing. Because of that, Chan has talked 300 people off of the edge of the bridge who were about to commit suicide. I don't know what I can do, but I'm really disturbed by the statistic that in my town there's this many people who are taking their own life. And so before work, I can just park my car. I can just walk across the bridge with binoculars, and all I'm going to be is I'm going to be available. I'm going to be available and just have a cup of coffee. I'm going to be available and go, God, no, you're worth more than that. Don't do that. How many people at your workplace are on the edge of the bridge? How many people in your family are on the edge of the bridge? And all you simply need to be is available. And how busy we are with our schedules and how busy we are with our own priorities. And I know what you're saying. Jason, I don't have some special talent. I don't, I don't know if I could talk somebody off the edge of a bridge. Listen, this concept isn't new. It was taught to me. I don't know who said it. But listen, do you actually think God needs your ability? You think that you can't serve because you're not able yet, or whatever standard you have of serving. Oh, God, I can't lead. I can't do it. Like, you think God is in heaven going, boy, I got all my chips on them. Whew. Man, if they, you know, I've created the world, and that just exacerbated me, man. That was exhausting. So I really need them to come through. Man, if they fail, my whole plan's going to crumble now. Listen to me. God is not looking at your ability. God is simply looking at your availability. <laughs> it, just, it just starts with this. Here... I am. Here I am, God. And I know what you're saying. Oh, man, Jason, the calendar. and Oh, we got a lot of important things. Can I, I just want to very, 
I love you, and I just want to very lovingly say this to you about all the family and the schedule and everything you're giving me excuses for right now. Listen to me. What you love, you'll make time for. It's just very clear. Our passions always become our priorities, always. And what Ananias did is he's a disciple, a follower of the way, which means he understood Jesus' teaching, which means Ananias would have been very familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, which would have just exploded onto the scene. And he would have been familiar with Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. And maybe the very thing in your life that you need is just on the other side of availability. And just saying... Step number one, yeah, I'm here. I'm present. Yeah, somebody in my small group, next week I can just have a cup of coffee with you. I can just be there. Presence. Am I available? The next thing that I see is this, and the question is this. Am I teachable? Am I teachable? And I know that's such a barbaric thing to say in 2017 when you have all the information in the world ever in your pocket right now at your iPhone. But we do some pretty dumb things with our smartphone. But anyway, verse 10, here we go. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here am I, Lord. And here it is, verse 11. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. It's a great name for a street. Straight. Anyway, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, verse 12, and he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Now, here it is. Don't miss it. Come on. Don't miss it. Verse 13. But Ananias answered, Oh, Lord? <laughs> right? Like, come on, man. Don't get churchy with me about that response. That is a fantastic response. Um, Lord, and then here it is. I've heard many things about this man. How much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Like, I love this conversation that's happening and, and Luke and the narration that he's writing. It's like, thus saith the Lord. Like, all of this cool stuff. And then all of a sudden, Ananias is like, uh, Lord, just a couple questions here. He's just, um, you say Saul? Saul? I mean, like, I would understand if you said Peter. That dude's jacked up. I need to go pray for people. But Saul? Like, uh, you know? And he's, and he's asking questions and he's dialoguing. Like, you know what Ananias is doing right now, don't you? Ananias is telling God something like God doesn't know. Now, I know you've never done this. You've never, that's not you. That's not your prayer. That's nothing like that. But he's having a conversation with God, and then God fills him in, and then we see in the text, and Ananias left, and he went to the house. There's something about being moldable and being a disciple. The word disciple actually means a learner, a learner of the way. And and I think there's some questions that we need to ask ourselves on actually on this idea of if we're teachable if we're allowing God to teach us and do something in our life. The first thing is this, am I honest with God? Because Ananias is honest. I lo- like one of the things that we do in the church is we detach the honesty of the Bible and and the authors and the writers like preparing our hearts for the psalm series that we have coming up. 
and the angst and how they're questioning. Listen to me. They're not so much proclaiming about the presence of God in the Psalms as they are asking about the absence of God in the Psalms. And they were brave enough to answer question, ask questions like, where are you and why? And I don't understand. Ananias, as he's praying and having this conversation in a supernatural way, is honest and says, um, I have some concerns about this. One of the reasons I think that we're not honest with God, and I know maybe you're not like this, but I kind of struggle with this, is because I actually think God doesn't know. And I'm actually doing a good job of hiding it. So, like, when I'm praying, I'm going to pray a lot for other people. That's a really good way to deflect things off of you, right? I'm a good intercessor, right? I'm going to pray for you, pray for you, pray for you, because God forbid I get into the wonderings of my own heart and ask God to search me and mold me. And one of the things that we think we're actually doing is, is hiding and keeping that from God. Like, like you actually think that God doesn't know about your insecurities or your fears or your anxieties or things like that. And the beauty of the gospel is, is that he knows and he pursues you anyway. Because I don't think you can understand the beauty of grace and the, and the taste and the sweetness that grace is until you're completely honest and laid bare before God. And you're not holding on to anything else. I mean, Ananias is really honest with God. Like, I have some concerns about this. He's teachable. One of the ways is that we're teachable is that we ask questions, honest questions, listen, of ourself, of ourself. And then the second thing was this, am I trusting in God's plan? Am I trusting in God's plan? Because look at Jesus' response, verse 15. Like compare, look at the narrative of the text, have your eyes on scripture. Verse 13 and verse 15 Luke, the writer of this passage, is showing us a break and something's changing in the narrative. Verse 13, but Ananias answered, oh, Lord, right? And then verse 13, but the Lord said to him, go. Now look, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. What's Jesus doing? Jesus is saying, Ananias, I need you to go. And Ananias, I'm doing some things that you don't know about. Okay? So don't be worried about that. I need ordinary obedience. Because through ordinary obedience, I'm accomplishing extraordinary things. And this past weekend on Memorial Day weekend, this was kind of revealed to me a little bit. Um, we, we spent some time with family and friends and Pastor Tyler and his wife, and, and uh, my kids love Pastor Tyler. Like, they just are infatuated. Andy Grace is just like, oh, like, right? Like, on Sunday, I don't know if she's worshiping Jesus or Tyler. I'm not really sure. So, but, and so my kids, and Tyler's just gracious and spends time and hangs out with the kids. But Roman's really into vintage Nintendo games. And it's even crazy for me to say vintage Nintendo games. Some of you are like, vintage? What? I remember, whoop. Boop, right? Like the first video game ever, right? Are you kidding me? And so Tyler landed like Mario Kart 64, and, and we were going to play it on Memorial Day. And Roman was really ready to play this game. And I don't know if you know this or not about kids, just an observation. Kids don't really care about your plans. 
I just really care about theirs. You know what I mean? So he was really ready to play this video game. And um, so much so that he was asking, and I just had to get down on one knee and look him in the eye and just say, hey, bud, listen, I don't know when we're going to play this game today, but listen, I promise you we're going to play this video game. And we did, and it was incredible. It was fun. It was a blast. And many souls were saved because of Mario Kart 64. And it was fun. And that evening as I was just reflecting on the day, and just, I'm a, listen, I'm a parent just like you. And I was reflecting on the day, just like we do as parents sometimes. And it's the guilt, kind of like, man, I missed this opportunity. I was harsh here, great, you know, and just having a pity party. And um, I really felt like the Lord said, Roman was really concerned about the details, wasn't he? And he just kind of said, so are you. You see, Roman was so focused on the details of the plan that he couldn't focus on the promise that his father was giving him. I said, bud, we're going to play, but it was the time. i got to get that worked out. i got to know that. i got to know that in order to go forward. And listen, what would your life look like that instead of asking God for the details of his plan, that you just simply ask for a greater trust in his plan? You don't need the details. Because I know what you're doing. You're negotiating right now. What you're saying is, yeah, Jason, but if I knew this, if I knew this thing, I would step out and I would go to India for the Lord. I would do whatever. I mean, if I just knew this, I would do whatever it was. But my dear friend, that's not faith. (laughs) That's not faith. Because listen to me, the opposite of faith is not like unfaith. The opposite of trust is not mistrust. The opposite of trust is control. And the Lord's asking you to step out in faith and do something, but you cannot let go of that situation. But you're asking for the very thing that God is saying, listen, as soon as you let go, as soon as you let go, here I am. And then he left the house and he went. Are you trusting in God's plan or are you just distracted by asking for the details of the plan? Am I available Am I teachable to what God is doing? And then the last thing is this. Am I humble? My dear friend, please be careful, because if you answered yes, you're wrong. So let's look at the text, right? Nobody's ever like, you know what? I think a spiritual gift is I'm a pretty humble guy, right? I think a lot of people would say, wow, that guy, he's humble, right? Because continue on. Look at what he does. Verse 17, and Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul. Brother Saul. See, one of the things you you got to understand about early Christianity and the early church, there was a lot of slanders that came towards the early church. One of the things was is that the disciples were called cannibals because they said that they feasted upon the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, that they literally feasted on his flesh. That his flesh was the sustenance to life. And one of the other slurs that they were called is they said that there was incest happening amongst the Christian groups because they called each other brother and sister. And they weren't brother and sister, but they referred each other to that language. Because when you understand what the gospel is, and when Paul says, for there's neither slave nor free nor Jew nor Gentile, But there is all one in Christ, and we are the family of God. And don't miss it on this moment. Like, like think about Steven Spielberg, that Ananias pulls up to the house, and Osama bin Laden's in the house. 
And he's been asked to go and lay his hands and pray for this man. Charles Spurgeon says, For you cannot teach the gospel far away from a man, because if you put him far away and throw the gospel at him, you will miss him. But you have to get close enough to touch his heart. And Ananias goes in, and did it get slow, and was it quiet? Who else was in the house as they stood back? As Ananias came, and he took his cloak off, and he puts his hands, and he says, Brother Saul, how sweet it must have been for the apostle Paul, Saul at that time, to hear those words. But mark it down, how difficult must it have been for Ananias to say them. John Stott says that Saul may have been responsible for the death of some of Ananias' loved ones. Oh God, this is grace. Don't miss this. And he comes in in all humility, trembling and lays his hands on this murderer of a man and says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has sent me. You know what his response was not? Oh God, I wonder what Saul's going to think of me. Oh goodness, I wonder this, I wonder that. There was a deep humility about him. Because, listen, you can only be humble until you love, your, until you love something more than yourself. <laughs> you see, Ananias wasn't focused on himself. It was ordinary obedience providing an extraordinary opportunity. And he was humble enough to heed the word of God and to come in and say the words of Brother Saul. Now, I know what some of you are saying. Oh, Jason, I'm not prideful at all. My life, I've just been knocked down. You just don't know. My daddy never hugged me much. I just never, I was dealt a pretty tough hand of cards in life, Jason. And so, you know who you are. We have a name for you here at Westside. You're called Eeyore. Because it's just never sunshiny on me. Praise God for other people, but not me, Jason. You're the most prideful person in the room. Because self-pity is a form of inverted pride. Because what you're doing is connecting every life experience to you. So when somebody says something, you're very fearful of, was that about me? Are they whispering about me? The boss says something, was that about me? And you're connecting every dot in life and every conversation and every experience to you. But Ananias was so forgetful of himself, wasn't he? He just went with the word. Tim Keller in his book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, says this, and he borrows from uh, C.S. Lewis. True gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience and every conversation with myself. In fact, I stop thinking about myself. Because the essence of gospel humility is not thinking more of myself or thinking less of myself. It is thinking of myself less. You see, the freedom... There is freedom in life when you come to the realization that life is not about you. It is not about your suffering. Your suffering is not about you. God has allowed you to suffer so that for your good, Romans 8, 28, for all things work together for good, all things, that means the situation in my life that I don't understand, it's not about you. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ and it's about the story that God is writing Walt Whitman would always say that life is but a play and you, my dear friend, get to contribute one verse and what will your verse be? How shameful is it if your verse is to propagate yourself? 
but rather it is not I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. Because this life I now live, I now live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself up for me and died for me. Because it is no longer I who live, but it is Christ. This is the essence of the gospel. Is that you view it all through the lens of Jesus. But we need to be careful, right? We need to be careful. Unless we preach Ananias into heaven without the grace of God himself, right? Ananias isn't Jesus. Ananias needed to repent and come to faith in Jesus Christ himself. And actually, Ananias, what I love about stories is when you realize that a supporting character is in there, and he actually reveals the greater character. So when it comes to the Oscars and to the Emmys, I could give a rip about the leading actor. They always get it wrong every single time, man, right? In The Revenant, Leonardo DiCaprio, get out of here, man. He didn't even say anything, right? So I don't care about any of that. I love Best Supporting Actor. Best Supporting Actor. Because Best Supporting Actor is a reflection of the gospel. What did John the Baptist say? I must decrease and he must increase. And really all Ananias is doing is reflecting Jesus because if I I had one word to summarize Ananias' life, it would be submission and surrender. And you know what one of the toughest things I think Jesus ever experienced wasn't on the cross. You're like, where's he going? This is weird. Though there was a profound mystery and a tremor in the Trinity when the Father turns his back on the Son and, and... He who knew no sin became sin in that moment is a great profound mystery. But I think the toughest thing happened the night before in the garden where Luke records that Jesus sweat drops of blood right before that he was betrayed. And he's honest. He's honest. Jesus was honest about his doubts. Jesus was honest about his fears to God the Father himself. And he was humble and he was teachable and he was available in that moment. And Luke records that Jesus says these words, Father, if you are willing to remove this cup from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. I believe that's one of the most dangerous prayers that anybody could ever pray. (laughs) God, this is real. I'm honest about this. I don't know what to do about this. Not my will, but yours be done. And through our ordinary obedience comes extraordinary opportunities. And many of you came in here with a burden and a situation that's happening in your life. And listen, I'm going to tell you something a lot of preachers don't ever tell you. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how your situation is going to turn out, and it may turn out bad. But here's what I do know, that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love our neighbor as ourself. But Jason, what about this? I don't know. I don't know. But I know that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. But Jason, you're saying that's so ordinary. Yes, Because through ordinary obedience comes extraordinary opportunities. And the very answer to the situation that you're dealing with in life is probably just on the other side of obedience. Of obedience. Tyler's going to come and he's going to lead us in a particular song before we come and partake in the body that was broken and the blood that was shed. And your piece of white paper that you have in your bulletin, this is now the time for that if you haven't already made an airplane. If you could just for a moment use your imagination and let this piece of paper represent your life. And if I had you write down, you know, who you are in your life, 
probably the first thing. I know you. I've been in this game for a while. You'd probably write down a lot of mistakes. I mean, the first thing that would come to your mind is you would write, blew it here. This is kind of what defines me. These are the failures that I've made. But if the gospel's true, and if 2 Corinthians 5.17 is true, that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, for the old is gone and the new has come. Then as Charles Spurgeon said, at 15 years old, for the snow that was falling was singing to me because my sins were forgiven and I was pardoned as the forgiven, as the pure as the white as the snow. This is your life now. And then a lot of you have a situation in your life that you would love to fill. If I had you write down this prayer, you would write a long prayer front and back asking God about this and the details of that situation and all of that. But as a sign of surrender, here's what I want you to do today. Before you come, I want you to lay down. We have baskets up here. I want you to lay this piece of paper down in the basket. But before you do, I want you to leave it blank. And I want you to write at the bottom of the piece of paper just your name as a sign of goodwill and testament. I sign off on this. And then here is your prayer today. God, fill in the blanks. I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that when there are people who say, here I am, I'm available God, teach me, mold me, and make me. I don't understand about this in my life. I'm teachable. And then I'm humble realizing that I'm not connecting all of these life experiences about me in my life, but that it's pointing to Jesus Christ. I'm just going to sign my name at the bottom of a sign of good surrender and submission. Say, not my will, but yours be done. And God Fill in the blanks. And listen, I believe for somebody in this place today, through an ordinary act of obedience, I believe will come the extraordinary opportunity. Father, we come before you today. And Holy Spirit, simply our prayer is this. Here we are. God, we don't know. There are a few things we do know. We should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and all of our strength. And we should love our neighbor as ourselves. Oh God, that's what we know. So I pray for us as we leave on Monday and just through ordinary obedience, I believe will come the extraordinary opportunity. Not our will be done, but your will be done in our home, in our marriage, in our parenting as it is in heaven. And we pray this in the mighty and in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand?